Uh, so this morning we're going to Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to give you a whole lot of context before. And when I was going to talk about this passage, and because I have a tendency to preach in bare feet, I had to call my sermon, Take Your Shoes Off. Um, but I feel like I need to give this big disclaimer before I preach, especially in the world that we live in. In no way am I creating a theology where you can only come into God's presence if you're not wearing shoes. Okay? So take my message this morning and understand it in a spiritual context and not necessarily assume that you, I am telling you that you must take your shoes off before the Lord. I actually, um, I'll just confront it because everyone will probably be wondering if this is why I take my shoes off. It's not really what I'm talking about this morning. I tend to take my shoes off. It started really way back when I started preaching and I felt that, you know what, if I feel like I'm comfortable in my living room, it's a lot easier for me to share the word of God and not feel like I'm doing something that's more than it is. That piece of, hey, we're just having a conversation on my couch. And uh, for me, that's why I do it. It's just a reminder. And I really hate shoes. <laughs> like, I just do. Like, I'm one of those people that I will be in a hoodie and pants and flip-flops until, like, there's snow on the floor, on the ground. It's raining out, and I'm like, okay, how much is it raining? Like, do I have to take, put real shoes on today, or can I get away with, you know, it's just, anyways, yeah. And then Paige, I think it was Paige and I were having this conversation. She was like wearing socks. Was it you? I was talking to you. You were wearing socks and sandals, and I was wearing my flip-flops, and it was kind of drizzling. And you're like, well, because it's cold. That I said, yes, but now you're going to have wet socks, and I'm gonna, my feet will dry as soon as I go inside. So I think I'm making the better choice here. Anyways. It's totally aside. Uh, nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. I just felt like I had to give you some disclaimers so that you weren't distracted by why I don't wear shoes or distracted in thinking that all of a sudden some little snippet of what I say today is going to create this new theology and a new denomination that everyone's going to leave the church and think that the only way to heaven is if you have no shoes in his presence. And that's just not what I'm saying. But that tends to happen today, doesn't it? So this morning we're talking about Moses. I want to give you some context. Just come on a little journey of the story with me because I think it's important for you to understand the story, to understand really what's happening in Moses' life. So we've got the Israelites who ended up in Egypt. Anyone know why they ended up in Egypt? You don't have to yell it out. Just put your hand up. Anyone know why they ended up in Egypt? Okay, a few. Great. So they ended up in Egypt because there was a famine in the land and Joseph was there. There's this guy named Joseph and because his, his brothers sold him into slavery and uh, decided they didn't like him, he ended up in Egypt and ended up the second in command. So he's in Egypt and then the famine goes across the land and his brothers come to him and he has an option when his brothers come before him to actually enslave them for everything they did to him to do what was right in his eyes or he had a choice to give them grace and forgiveness and say, why don't you come? and know that God had a bigger plan than what you had, and so now I'm going to feed you. What a great heart posture, hey? How we could all learn something from Joseph. So Joseph says, come, bring all of your, your family and bring my dad and bring everyone. So all of the Israelites, which was like maybe 20 people at the time, but, you know, they all ended up in Egypt. So then they start to grow and God blesses them. Why? Because they are God's people and God's blessing was on them wherever they were at. So Israelites grow and they become these millions and millions and millions of people. Maybe not that many million, but there's at least a few million. Millions of them living in Egypt. And decades had gone by and the Pharaoh of the day, so he was the leader of Egypt of the day, didn't remember, didn't remember the blessing over the Israelites. 
All he saw was that there was this threat of this people group that was growing pretty rapidly and may try and take over his throne. And then he thought, hey, you know what? We can actually enslave them and put them to work. So that's what he did. He took this whole people group and he made them work and he would uh, make them build all his, you know, pyramids and all the things. I don't know if they're pyramids, but, you know, he made them build all the things. Maybe I should know that, but I don't. <laughs> He's making them build all the things and work really hard and basically slave driving them, literally. And so this is, this is what's going on in the Israelite people. And then the Pharaoh, he's like, no, they're still growing pretty rapidly. Scripture actually says they were multiplying. God's blessing was on them. And the more that, they, the, more that the Pharaoh tried to oppress them, the more that they expanded. And so Pharaoh was like, no, this is not going to work. So you know what? We're going to ask the midwives, midwives, every Israelite that births a boy, we want you to kill them. Well, the midwives understood the Lord, and they said, you know what, we're not messing with him. So they pretended that they just never showed up, and they said, you know what, these Israelite women just have babies really fast. We just miss it every time. So Pharaoh's like, okay, well, then I'm going to take over. And he says, I'm going to kill all of the baby boys of the Israelites to try and stop the population from growing so that they couldn't take over. Really, Pharaoh had a posture of fear before the Lord. So because Pharaoh had this posture of fear, he reacted out of that fear, right? How often do we end up, God's blessing is on someone else, and all we see is what we don't have, and then we try to act out of fear, and we try to squash it. Here's a newsflash. It's never going to work. It's only going to put you in a worse position. Right? So we have the Israelites, they are here. Moses' mom, she has this baby and she hides him for a, for a little bit and realizes I can't hide this baby any longer. So she actually does the hardest thing a mom could ever do. And I could probably speak on that because I actually have to bring my daughter to college and let her go off into the world today. I mean, I didn't have to put my baby in a basket. I understand it's probably not the same thing. <laughs> She's probably more equipped to live in the world than the baby in the Bible, but just go with me, okay? I relate to Moses' mom right now. How difficult it is to take this, this baby that you love so much and just send it off into the world and say, go, be hurt. Because that's what the world does, right? Just kidding, I'm just a little like bitter this morning. It's fine. So anyway, so Moses' mom... She says, you know what, I need to give my baby a chance. So what does she do? She takes this basket, this whisker basket, and puts like tar and a bunch of stuff in it to make sure it's not going to sink. She puts her little baby in this basket and sticks him on the river. Says, go. She says, I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to protect you. See, this morning we're talking about purpose. And I think what we get confused as Christians, and you've probably heard me say it before, before, is that there's two types of purposes as a Christian, right? One is salvation. It's the one that we talk about a lot in the church, and it should be talked about a lot in the church because it's central to being a Christ follower. See, salvation is just this free gift that we get by accepting what Christ did on the cross. Uh, Gabby, as she was leading this morning, talked about that, right? But there's nothing, like, we, we need to not think we can strive to be better, to be able to have to be with God, for, to, to accept his salvation. It's because of what Christ did on the cross. 
right? That is salvation. The purpose of salvation is for eternity one day. But then there's this other, like, nagging that we get in our heart, and that is, okay, God, but, but why don't you just save me and take me then? Yes, what? Maria, please pull the mic away from your mouth. Yeah, got it. Sorry, there's a note up there that says they're all pointing at me. Is that better? Do you want me to switch mics? No, we're good. And it sound like I'm yelling at you. Is that why? Okay. I might actually just be yelling at you. <laughs> I probably was just yelling. Now I'm going to talk really quiet. No one's going to hear me. I'm just kidding. Don't worry. I'm probably still going to yell today. Um, so there's this piece of salvation, right? Salvation, this free gift. But then there's this other naggingness that we all have inside of us. This nagging that says, that, well, there's, there's got to be more. That God, if you've left me here, it's got to have a purpose to it, right? There's got to be something more. And then there's, like, purpose. The purpose of God, what do you have me to do? Now, that purpose can be really, really simple. It could be as simple as loving your kids, loving your spouse, and loving the people you come in contact with well. That's actually one of the only few purposes that's universal. But then sometimes God has other things for us to do. But we all have this nagging in us that says, okay, there's got to be more than just being saved and waiting until we get to eternity one day. And these two separate purposes is what we actually see in Moses' life. See, Moses got put in the river in this basket, and God did what he's done for all of us, is he graciously saved him. This baby could not save himself, could he? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that Tarzan is not a normal thing. <laughs> you know where a baby goes out in the wilderness and then somehow turns into an adult that's still alive? Like, that's not a normal thing to happen just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> Babies can't sustain themselves, right? So God chooses to step in. He says, you can't save yourself, so I'm going to save you. There's this grace in Moses' life that actually saved him. And he not only saved him, he saved him and put him in the palace. It was Pharaoh's daughter who found Moses, took him out of the water, and said, okay, I'm going to raise him on my own. And then God's grace says, okay, now Pharaoh's daughter says, now I don't actually want to be his mom for the first few years because that seems like a lot of work. And side note, it is. Um, anyone with a toddler, if you find someone who wants to raise your toddler for three years, you take it. Okay? They come back. As long as it's a good person, they'll come back a much better person. <laughs> they're, just, they're just better. I promise you. Um, I'm just kidding. Love your toddlers. Take care of them. It's great. Um, can you tell that once they hit teenagers, that was my jam. This is why this is a much harder stage to let her go, because I'm like, I really like you now. You know? <laughs> like, I've always loved you, but now I want to spend time with you. Like, I'm just kidding. I sound like a horrible mother. This is why I should not preach in like two hours of sleep, guys. You're just going to hear all the rawness come out. Anyways, okay, so Moses, so Moses is... So, totally tangent. Moses is at his mom's place now. The, the, the Pharaoh's daughter says, go, find someone to take care of my baby for a few years. And God's grace says, here, I'm going to give you back to your mom. I'm going to let her instill the word of the Lord, I'm sure, in his little heart, whether or not he knew it or not. 
I'm going to pray. She's going to be able to pray over her baby knowing she's going to have to send him back. But these moments of God's grace in Moses' life, right? Moments that Moses didn't do anything to earn. Moses didn't do anything to deserve. It was just God's grace. And that is the grace of salvation. Okay? That is the grace of the free gift of salvation that we get. It's actually the grace of what God chooses to do often, which is to actually soothe our broken heart. See, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about God soothing our broken heart, soothing when we're hurt, soothing us when we're sad and something has happened and we've been hurt and there's brokenness and all of that. God chooses to say, I'm going to soothe that. But guess what? What was there to soothe us cannot sustain you. There's a difference between being soothed and being sustained. See, God can soothe you, but if you actually want to go beyond just salvation one day and you want to know purpose in your life, you're going to have to move to God sustaining you. And they're two different things. See, people will take the word of the Lord and they will take parts of it out that are there to say, soothe you. You know what? Why has everyone forgotten about me and no one loves me and no one cares about me? And God, you are a God of justice and you're going to work it all out for my good and all of those things. And they soothe our soul, right? And there's nothing wrong with going to the word of God for soothing. But if you want to get into true purpose, you need to get into the words that sustain you. Those are words that are a little bit more uncomfortable. The ones that say, hey, when someone hurts you, turn the other cheek. The ones that say, hey, you know what? Take up your cross and follow me. See, if you want something deeper, you want purpose in your life, you've got to go beyond the soothing and get into the sustaining. Amen? Amen. We have a culture that really likes to soothe. We have a culture that says everything's okay as long as it makes you feel okay. Well, guess what? That doesn't actually line up with the Word of God. Just in case you didn't know. I was listening to this song this morning. I love it. It was by Maverick City. And it talks about, you know, this idea of remembering back. And we have all these memories. Right now, you know, I'm thinking all these memories of, like, my little baby who just cried at me all day long and I just did squats for hours on end. That was Paige, by the way who I'm sending off today. You know, I'm thinking back to all these memories. She's going to hate this sermon because I'm just going to talk about her all day long. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's my last time I get to do it with you in the audience, okay? Um, Probably not, but I feel like it is. Uh, You know, we think back to these memories. This song, it was talking about, you know, do you remember when we could actually call sin, sin? You remember when we can actually say that right was right and wrong was wrong? that left was left and right was right, that there is, there's, there is this distinction between truth and not truth. See, those, dis- those dividing lines, that's what act- gets you into the sustaining part, which gets you into the purpose part. But when we start moving away from that, we move into this place of, God, I just want you to make me feel better, but I don't actually want you to change me. Amen? I don't actually want to have, have lines drawn. No, don't get me wrong. Nowhere in here does it say that you have to put a checklist and you have to get it all perfect. No, but you do need to define what sin is. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with it. Doesn't mean you can't come into his presence if you're struggling with it. But you do need to know that it's sin. 
See, grace and truth can both coexist. And we've got into a culture where we think they can't. Moses had this soothing, the, the grace of God on his life when he was this little baby that got taken out of the river and got put into Pharaoh's home. But then we move into this passage where he, he get, grows up and something starts to stir in him. I would like to think it's probably the prayers of his mom over him. Something starts to stir in him and he's walking along and he's realizing, wait, I'm not actually an Egyptian. Like, I know I live there. I know that's who's raised me. I know that's what I'm surrounded with, but something's not fitting here. And there's this tension in him. How do we know that? Well, we see it. He's walking and he's watching an Egyptian beat an Israelite, the slave master beating his slave, and something rises up in Moses, and he's like, that's not okay. Something's not right here. See, when we start to mature, the justice of the Lord will start to rise up in us. We'll start to see this. There's this angst inside that says, ah, there's, there's got to be got to be something different. This isn't sitting right. Here's the problem that Moses did that we often do. Moses thought, hey, you know what? I can fix that. Anyone else with me that you, you kind of get this nudging of the Lord and you get this peace that says, you know what? There's something not here. And instead of bringing it to the Lord and saying, hey, God, what do you want to do with this? We actually say, don't worry, God. Just take a cup of coffee and go sit and have a break. I got this. Really, am I the only one? Because I feel like I do this a lot. <laughs> you know what happens every single time, though? A whole lot of apologies. Every time. You know, there's this piece where it's like, okay, we get this tension, and it is the Lord inside of us, but then we react out of our own understanding. We react out of our own justice. We react out of our own thoughts. Instead of bringing it to the Lord and saying, okay, God, what is your purpose? What are you wanting to do with what I'm feeling inside of me? So what does Moses do? He kills the Egyptian. Seems really justified, especially for those who, like, you know, there's that holy war inside of them kills the Egyptian. He says, what are you doing? You're hurting my brother. I'm going to take the job of the Lord, and I'm actually going to, I'm going to do justice here. So he kills the Egyptian. He buries him up, and then really, clearly, he doesn't really think that there's much wrong with it until all of a sudden two Israelites are fighting, and, and Moses steps in and says, hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses is like, oh, no. I may get in trouble here. See, Moses isn't convicted because he thinks he did something wrong. He's actually just worried that someone's going to kill him now. He's like, what are they going to do if they find out I killed an Egyptian? So what does he do? He runs away. Following the story? Everyone's with me? Yes? Nods? Good. Excellent. I'm going to keep on talking anyway. So Moses runs away and he goes into the wilderness. So now Moses is in the wilderness and he's by this well, and then, you know, there's all of these lovely ladies that are tending the sheep, and he goes, and there's other people, Robert, someone, I can't remember who it is. Anyways, they come over, and they're like, we're going to take over them. And he says, no, you can't. And then he helps them, and he gives them water, and then they go home. Just 
giving you a lot of the Coles notes here. Goes home, Jethro, he says, hey, Moses, or he says to all his daughters, he says, oh, there's this guy that helped you. Why didn't you invite him over? And she says, sure, let's invite him over. And then all we know is they invite him over and then he gives them one of her daughters, one of his daughters. I'm pretty sure it happened that quickly too. Uh, I seem, <laughs> seems like it happened pretty quickly. So now Moses is married into these people who live in the wilderness, who have shepherd, the shepherds and they have all these flocks. Moses is living his life. Things are good. Things are fine. Everything is good, right? Moses is just put all of that, that nagging that God kind of started in him back in Egypt. He just ran away and started forgetting about it. It's like, I'm just going to live my life. Anyone else do that? Because I know I do sometimes. God kind of stirs something in me, and then I walk it out, and I maybe do it wrong because I didn't actually ask him how he wanted to do it, and then there's consequences for that. So then I'm like, well, I must have got it wrong, so I'm just going to pretend that I didn't actually hear from the Lord at all, and I'm going to walk the other direction because I don't really like correction very much. With me? And then we sit and we wonder and we're like, we're just going to live in our nice little homes with all of our stuff. I'm going to go to a job and I'm going to come home and I'm going to go on the lake on the weekend. Things are going to be fine. And I'm going to go to heaven one day and everything is great. But, but there's still this nagging in there, isn't it? Because if you've ever met the Lord, you're probably not going to get away from that nagging that says there's got to be more. There's, there's got to be more than just the mundane that we're doing. Me building my own kingdom. There's got to be more than this. So Moses is out and he's in the wilderness and he's out with the sheep one day and that's where we pick up our passage this morning. Are you ready? Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 1. It says this, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. My cut note. Hang on, before I start passaging, I'm just going to switch. Check one, two. Good? Okay, excellent. That was just a dramatic pause. Now the word of the Lord. Um, <laughs> Exodus chapter 3, you ready? Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a, within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at the remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out, to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. He says, do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I'm not going to read the rest of the passage there, but just so you know, this is where Moses gets his purpose. It's not an easy purpose. But it is one that changed the trajectory of a whole people group. This is the moment where, where Moses actually learns that there's more. 
A few things happen. One, Moses is just doing his day-to-day life, but then he notices God doing something over in the distance. He notices this bush is burning, and he sees it's not burning up. Something miraculous is happening over there. I don't know about you, but I think many of us are drawn to God doing the miraculous. We see it, and we're drawn to it. Anyone else with me? You know, we actually sometimes have church cultures that that's all they do is they are just striving for the miraculous. I just want to see the burning bush. I want to see the burning bush. I want to see the burning bush. But I'm not sure that they grasp what it's going to take to be in the presence of the bush. Right? We want God's miraculous. We want to see him move. But do we want to take the steps that it's going to take to get there? I don't know about you, but sometimes that means at first saying, I don't think so, God. When I was young in faith, I was like, yes, do whatever it takes. And then life happens right? You realize that sometimes it comes with hurt and pain. It comes with burden. It comes with sleepless nights. When we were youth pastors, it was hard. Those of you who don't know our story, we often opened our homes and just had a whole bunch of teenagers just kind of came and some of them lived with us permanently and others just came and ate all my food like Peyton. I'm just kidding. Actually, you lived with us too. Um, And he ate more food. Um, But none as much as Ben. Let's just throw that out there. But you know what came with that? It was like, yes, everyone else was like, oh, you guys are so great. Look what you're doing. You're doing what the Lord wants you to do, and it must be so wonderful and magical. And, And you know what it actually felt like most days? Yes, we got to see God do the miraculous. Absolutely. We got to see lives transformed and miracles happen in their lives, and that sustained us. But it also meant a lot of nights where I sat up crying because one of them walked away from the Lord and went down a path that I knew was going to be destruction. Because loving deeply means that you'll hurt deeply. But God says do it anyway. See, God's purpose comes with this sense of knowing that you're doing what's right, knowing that you're walking the path that he's called you to walk, but it comes with a cost, and it comes with a choice that you have to make to take off your shoes to get into the holy place. See, because God is holy, and the place where he is holy, you can't bring the dirt and the crap of the world into that space. See, there's this piece of your shoes being on, and, and I know that there's a lot of reasons and, and, and uh, significance in scripture of shoes and taking off your shoes when you're in a holy place, but go with me with this analogy for a minute, that shoes as you walk around are the ones that create or that collect all of the dirt and the garbage of the world, <clears throat> right? Especially as a shepherd, like you're literally following sheep all day. I don't have to tell you what's probably on the bottom of the shoes, And he sees God doing something. He sees the burning bush. And God says, no, stop. This isn't a presence just to soothe you and to save you. This is a presence that's going to transform you. You better make sure you're ready. See, God actually says, yes, you can watch what I'm doing from afar. You can watch my presence. But if you want to be in my presence, you better be ready to take your shoes off. Amen? 
You better be ready to say, okay, God, I am aware that I am a sinful person because guess that that's just being human. And he says, are you ready to leave all of that at the door to be in my presence? Are you ready? Because if you want to know the fullness of your purpose, you want to be able to walk it out, you want to be in that deep place of my presence, which is deeper than the presence that soothes. It's the one that sustains. It's the one that changes you. It's the one that actually brings you through to the purpose of why you're still here and you just end up in heaven as soon as you said the little sinner's prayer. Um, That was a joke for someone in the room. Um, See, God sustains you. But it comes with a choice on your end. It takes a choice to say, you want to come into the holiness of who I am to, to understand the fullness of what I have for you? Then you better be ready to take your shoes off. See, he isn't saying, you've got to go deal with all your sin on your own. He just says, just take it off and come into my presence. Because he understands the only thing that will help you from not putting your shoes back on is actually sitting in that presence. See, we go to the presence of the Lord that soothes us, and then we wonder why we struggle day to day to do what he asks us to do. You following me? Let me unpack it a bit. We go into the presence of, the God, of God just far enough, just far enough to say, God, make me feel a little better. And I'm like, okay, I feel better. I'm going to go back. And then we wonder why we live our life with the burden and the heaviness of saying, why do I continue to do the things I don't want to do? Why do I yell at people in traffic? Why am I mad all the time? Why am I think I'm better than everyone? God, why is my heart filled with pride? I don't understand. He's saying, because you come to me just far enough to get a little soothing so you feel a little better, but not far enough to actually take your shoes off and be in my holiness. Because it's holiness, it's where transformation happens, church. It's where we actually define and say, I am going to say that sin is sin, and I'm actually going to make a defining line. I know I'm still going to struggle with it, but I'm going to make a defining line in my life saying, I know this is who you are. No matter what. Because my fear, healthy fear of the Lord, means more than fear of man. Amen? Take your shoes off. I haven't looked at my notes once. I'm not sure where I am. I feel like as Christians, we've moved to a church culture that says that we forget, we forgot that God is holy. We've actually forgotten. We adapt and we create and we attach to parts of who God is, but not the fullness of who he is. We don't understand in our human mind with the culture that we live in that God can be a God that is fully loving, fully graceful, and holy. That God can be both. Now here is the difference Moses, when he was back in Egypt, God revealed to him the injustice that was happening, and he thought it was on him to fix the injustice. And God said, no, 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 no. I just need you to have defining lines in your life that know what is right and what is wrong. That is the word for us, church. It's we need to stop thinking that we need to go out and kill all the Egyptians that are doing it wrong. That's not what God was birthing in Moses. You following me? 
What he was birthing in Moses is you need to know in your heart what is right and wrong. You need to have defining lines of what is sin and what is not. You need to have defining lines that says, I'm willing to deal with my own heart. I'm willing to take my shoes off to get deeper into your presence. I'm willing to put all the things of the world aside and what they think is right and what they have believed is the way and say, I want what you want, God. Take your shoes off and get into his holiness. Being in his presence is like nothing else. But it does come with a cost to know him that deeply. You know, I remember during season of life, like I was talking about with all these teenagers and all the things, and people would like, you know, ask us for advice. And then we get asked to go teach on how we did ministry. And I was like, you know, I do ministry. I make a choice to say. It's just a couch. It's just a floor. It's just a car. It's okay. You know, everyone thought it was this 10-point PowerPoint, which sometimes we also do, don't we? We're like, God, don't worry, I got this. Let me come up with my 10-point PowerPoint to tell everyone how to effectively evangelize the world. I'm not sure that's going to work. Because deeply loving people and actually seeing his presence move, seeing the miraculous happen, actually only comes from a heart of humility that is before him. I heard this quote. I don't know who it was from, so I'm sorry, whoever it is, because I'm not giving you credit. But it was from the Holy Spirit anyway, so it's not yours. Um, <laughs> it said this. It said, God, may my prayer be that every day I wake up wanting to be the next humblest version of myself. Could you imagine, as believers, if we had that posture before him? Instead of saying, God, but I feel like I'm being overlooked. God, but I feel like, like my, my, my space and my purpose isn't being enough. And God, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. And God says, how about you just ask me how I'm feeling? How about you just say, hey, you know what, why don't you, God, why don't you give me your heart? Show me. Show me what you're doing. Show me what you're saying. You know, because people would ask, and they'd be like, well, how? You know, can you teach, and you need to give all these, these youth pastors how to be youth pastors. And look, you've had all these young people come to know Jesus. I'm like, I haven't had all these young people come to know Jesus. I just said, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, and I've got some food. Would you like some? <laughs> you want to be in God's miraculous presence? Be willing to say that none of my stuff is my stuff. Be willing to say that none of my plans are really my plans, God. It's whatever you want. I promise you, and James would know because he's married to me, um, there has been many days where I've been with the Lord and I've said, God, this was not my plan. <laughs> this is not what I wanted to be doing. I'm not sure if you got the memo, but the Bible says that you're going to give me the desires of my heart, and this is not what I desired. <laughs> right? I remember before um, 
I won't say it so it doesn't flag anywhere and no one posts this, please. Oh, wait, it's posted everywhere. It's fine. I remember before I stepped into what I'm, some of what I'm currently doing in my world, and I remember, I like, you know, someone's like, hey, you're thinking, maybe you should do this, and I, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that, and I got in the car, and I literally heard the Lord's voice in my head, like, clear his throat and be like, are you even going to ask me? And this was my response, no. <laughs> no, I wasn't, because I don't want to know the answer, just in case you didn't know. But you know what? As I sat and I said, yeah, okay. And you wrestle through it. You know what that actually means when God says, give me, you're going to give you the desires of your heart. When you get into his holiness, when you get into his presence, when you're willing to take your shoes off and leave them behind, all of a sudden your desires and your heart become his. All of a sudden your heart breaks for what breaks his. And in no way is it easy or feel happy all the time, but there is a deep sense of joy of knowing that there's eternal consequence to what you're doing. Take your shoes off. I'm going to call the worship team up. Church, we want to see the miraculous happen. You want to see him move? Anyone with me? I sometimes, and I say this to James and our team sometimes, I'm like, you know what? I read the New Testament. I'm like, there was, there was some crazy stuff happening. We must be doing it wrong. Like, we're not seeing all of it, are we? We see these glimmers. But then you read and you think what they really were willing to do to see that kind of God. Take your shoes off because the place you are standing is holy ground. You want to hear my purpose for your life? Take your shoes off. Take off all the things and come into my presence, a presence that will sustain you, not just soothe you. Church, let's be a people that are willing to say there's got to be more than just salvation one day, although that is the most amazing gift. But God, I am willing and ready to take my shoes off. I'm not saying you're never going to put shoes back on. It just means that you're willing to come back and take them off again. You may have to do that daily. Every morning. There are many days where I still go, God, I don't want to do this. But you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. People are going to be mad at me if I do that. People aren't going to be happy with me. I'm going to have to have difficult conversations. I'm going to upset someone. I'm going to fill in the blank. You know, that's not fun. I'm not going to pretend that it is. But, but if I want to truly live out the purpose that God has, that comes secondary, right? Because I know who I am. There's a lot of people who don't know who they are. I know that I always have a place to go back to that will soothe me and sustain me, that will fill me back up, but a lot of people don't. I know that none of it can compare to what Christ took on his shoulders. So, so what? So what if I have to deal with a little upset? I want to pray for you, church. Before I do, I just want to remind you of a couple things. One, I'll do that later. 
there's reminders coming at the end of the service. Let's want us to be a people. You know, my heart, James's heart, the pastoral team here, our heart is that we would just be a people that says, God, we want to be in your presence. We want to be in your holiness. We're willing to do whatever it takes to be there. So if you call New Life Church home, I'm being very clear that this is who we are and this is where we're going. Let's be those people. Let's wrestle through it. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that your word does soothe us because sometimes we just need your soothing power. One that mends our broken heart. One that holds us like a dad. One that extends grace no matter what we've done. But God, I pray that we would be a people that want to not only be soothed, but be sustained. That we would be a people that are willing to say, God, we want to go deeper so that we can see your miraculous presence. We want to go deeper so that we can actually see the miracles that you are doing. That we can be privy to them, God, that we would know your purpose and direction for life. God, I pray that this morning that your word and your presence would not only soothe, but would start to sustain in people's lives. God, would you start to bring up what shoes they need to take off? God, would they come before you and repent of those shoes? God, would we be a people that are willing to do the humble work of saying, I got to deal with this. God, I pray that we would do that together, that we would be a place of community where we can attach and encourage and build up, that we can be iron sharpening iron, not just a feather rubbing up against another feather. God, I thank you for a presence that sustains. Let none of us leave here today without dealing with it. In your precious name, amen.